Again, I ask you the question. Have you ever read anything and you've asked yourself, is that really true? Well, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 5. Let's begin with verse 8. We're going to go 8 through 12 this morning. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Let's pray. God, may we pay attention to your words this morning. Because, God, we live in a day and age where we question the reality of the devil. Many people think that the devil, Satan, is just the figment of our imaginations, that he's man made. God, your word is true. And Peter is warning us this morning that the devil is real and that we need to take him seriously because he wants to eat us alive. God, we are your sheep. Jesus is our chief shepherd who is watching over us. Help us, Lord, this morning to be alert, to be sober-minded, to be aware of the attacks of the enemy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can Satan attack a Christian? Are we off limits to him? No, we are not. And the Bible is very clear about this. And, and uh, for the first part of this message, I want to go over some examples in Scripture from the Old and New Testament where God has given Satan permission to have his way with us. But there's a purpose beyond all of it. And Peter this morning in 1 Peter is telling us that we need to be aware of the, the enemy. He, he is a lion. He is on the prowl and he wants to devour every one of us. But in knowing this and what we're going to go through, I just want to remind you of verse 7 of 1 Peter 5. Because before we get to verse 8, verse 7 says, Cast all your anxieties on him 
because he cares for you. Even though God has given the enemy permission, he cares for you. And that is never going to change. Church, Christian, remember that as you're going through the desert, as you find yourself in suffering. Again, 21 times Peter has talked about suffering in these five chapters. 21 times. It is a way of life if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And you need to be prepared and not be caught off guard. And so the first example I want us to look at is in the book of Job. Job chapter 1. We are given some insight on uh, who our enemy is. And let's look at verses 6 through 12. The Bible says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And the sons of God in this passage of Scripture is in reference to the angels. They're presenting themselves before the presence of the Lord. And Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? And Satan answered, The Lord, Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. Pause right there for a moment. Where's Satan? Satan isn't in hell. You know, I think a lot of people think that Satan's in hell. Satan's not going to be cast into hell until the end of time, until the end of the millennial reign, when, when God comes and judges and, and sets up heaven and earth. That's when Satan is going to be bound for all eternity. But right now, Satan is roaming to and fro. He's going up and down. Verse 8, And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth. He's blameless. He's upright. He fears God and turns away from evil. Have you considered him, Satan? And Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions, have increased in the land. Man, he's, he's on easy street, Satan is talking, saying here. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And in the rest of that chapter, the um, Bible talks about how, lot, how Job had lost his livelihood. All his uh, business investments were wiped out 
including his own children, in verse uh, 19. Job lost everything. And then Satan comes back to the Lord in uh, chapter 2. He asks Satan the same question. Have you considered my servant uh, Job? And he gives Satan permission again to bring suffering upon his, his servant Job. And this time, verse 7, the Bible says, So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head and took, took a piece of broken pottery. I mean, he didn't even have a, a sharp blade or a knife. He found broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, that's one thing that he didn't lose with his wife. And he could have afforded to have lost her at this point because she says this, Do you hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Why did God allow Satan to have his way in Job's life? Because he wanted to prove, he wanted to show Satan proved to Satan that faith means something. Faith is important. That with faith, faith, you can resist the schemes of the devil. And so he permitted Satan to have his way with Job's life, and God knew Job was going to be strong. So it was not only to prove to Satan that Job's faith is real and powerful, but it's all, it was an also an opportunity in Job's life for him to grow in his relationship with God. You know, the Bible says at uh, the end of Job, it says this, I know that what this is all about. He said, I heard of you with the hearing of mine ear before, but now my eye sees you and I repent in dust and ashes. He no longer just took God for granted. That He knew in his heart, his faith knew that God was there. And all this suffering and the, the conversations that he would have with God at the end of, end of the book of Job, Job knew that God was real and personal, and he sees him. He knows him. So Christian, God's asking, Satan's asking for you too. But just understand this, that Satan has to get God's permission. He can't touch you without God's permission. But he's doing this. He has a purpose in it. He wants you to know him in far greater ways. And he wants to prove to the enemy that your faith is real. And that you can resist the enemy.
So that's the first example of why God allows Satan to attack us. The second example is Paul. Uh, Paul, if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. In, um, I'm sorry, chapter 12. Paul is talking about the fact that uh, he has, Paul has seen some amazing revelations of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, he does not go into detail with us in the New Testament of what he's encountered because uh, he didn't want to come across as a person of, of pride, a fool of, himself, a fool of himself. And in fact, the Bible says that uh, in verse 7, it says this, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation that God had given me, a thorn was given me in the flesh. Get this. A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That infirmity, that weakness, that thorn in the flesh never left Paul. He had pleaded with God to remove it, but it never left. And Paul understood that this was a messenger of Satan who had brought this upon Paul to keep Paul humble, to keep him from becoming conceited. And maybe God gives permission for Satan in your life to attack you because he wants to keep you humble. He wants to keep you dependent and needy on the Lord Jesus Christ because in your weakness, God can make you strong as you trust him. So that's a second example of why God allows Satan to attack us. The third example is Peter, where we, um, the author of our, our letter to the believers here, and we've talked about him as we've been going through this letter before, but uh, Peter was pretty proud of himself. He didn't want Jesus to suffer. He didn't want Jesus to die. And so Peter was going to do everything in his power to keep Jesus from having to go through that. And Peter, Jesus tells Peter in um, Luke chapter 22, look at verse 21 of Luke chapter 22. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. 
Peter said, no, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me, deny three times that you know me. Jesus knows that Peter is going to fail. But Jesus tells Peter, but when you have turned again, Peter, strengthen your brothers. Sometimes, Jesus, God allows Satan to attack us so that he's going to give us a ministry in somebody else's life when they stumble, when they fall, when they backslide. And Jesus wants Peter to be there and say, Let me tell you about what Jesus did in my life. You know, that, what Jesus did for Peter, that story is in all four Gospels. When it's in all four Gospels, we better pay attention. Peter didn't want us to forget this. Yeah, it was, it was a low moment, and he was humiliated. He's ashamed of what he did with his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But he knows that God's grace is greater than his sin. And Peter wants to encourage all of us today that even if you fail Jesus, and you will fail Jesus, we can all give testimony. Amen? Amen. But God's grace is greater. Encourage your friends, encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ with this truth. All the sovereignty of God. So we see Job, we see Paul, we see Peter. We see, we just see the churches of Revelation. Look at Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. I think your outline says verse 3 this morning, but it's actually verse 9. He's talking to the church at Smyrna. He says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear, listen, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. There's times that God permits Satan to attack his children. Even unto death. And even in those moments, as believers, he wants us to know, that's not the end. 
just the beginning of life evermore. Don't fear who can kill your body. Fear the one who can cast you into the pit of hell. God has caught you. You are in, going back to chapter 1, you are in protective custody. No one can take you out of his hand. You have a living hope that is never going to fail. And even though you may take your last breath here in persecution and suffering and death, your first sight, your first sight is going to be your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you are going to hear words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of your salvation. You don't even have to fear death itself. And just understand, there are going to be times where God permits the lion to even take the life, the flesh of his children. You can't take the soul. It's in the presence of God for all eternity. So why these attacks? To prove our faith. To strengthen us. That we might be more intimately acquainted with Him. To keep us humble. To encourage others. And to be faithful, if necessary, even unto death. Is it because God hates you? No. God is not punishing you. Verse 7 again. He cares for you. He's preparing you. Trust His plan. Trust His word. Not your pain. It's easy to be overwhelmed with the pain. Trust his plan. This is Peter's message to us. Then there are some other other examples in Scripture where God permits Satan to attack uh, men and women. And it's men and women who claim his name, but don't really know him. And church, they're even in the church. First example is Acts chapter 5. Look at Acts chapter 5, verse 3 this morning. Let's start with verse 1. Acts 5. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold... Was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You haven't lied to man. You've lied to God. 
And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. And then the same thing happened to his wife as well. There's times where Satan will put things in our mind to cause us to lie against the Holy Spirit. And this was able to happen in Ananias and Sapphira's life because they didn't have a relationship with the Lord. They were pretending. And in their pretending, um, God allowed Satan to destroy their life. Then we see in the Corinthian church, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is one messed up church. I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about the church of uh, Corinth, okay? I mean, they were... um, They were allowing some things. Let's look at verse 1. They were some allowing some things in the church that uh, didn't belong in the church. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. They hadn't done church discipline on this individual. They continued to allow him to be in fellowship with others in the church. Verse 3, For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as a present I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Sometimes God has to turn individuals This isn't even a believer, okay? This is a pretend believer. Sometimes God has to turn these individuals over to Satan for their destruction that hopefully through this punishment that God will get their attention, have their attention, and their soul will be saved in the day of the Lord. And so here in Acts Satan fills pretenders' minds with lies. They suffer the consequences. God is using this to purify the church, to keep the church holy. And in this passage of Scripture, uh, God does this to hopefully save this person uh, at the return of Christ. We see the same thing in uh, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20. Uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander. These were two elders in the church. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20. Well, let's look at verse 18. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, 
in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of the faith, among whom are, are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn learn not to blaspheme. There are two elders in the church who are making shipwreck of sheep in the church. And Paul says, I have turned them over to Satan because they've been blaspheming and it is hurting the flock. Things of this are sometimes necessary. And then the last example is in Revelation chapter 2, the church Thyatira. Revelation chapter 2, verses 19 through 25. This is one messed up church. Bible says this, verse 19, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter work is seed the first. I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent. This is Jesus talking to the church right now, okay, church? I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, And those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden Hold fast what you have until I come. So why does God, why does Jesus turn the enemy on this church and destroys them, annihilates them? Because of the wickedness. God is a holy God and he is not going to tolerate sin. And he expects us as his children to live holy lives and not not be 
interested in the deep things of Satan. And church, we're living in that day. We're here. This passage is tomorrow's newspaper, okay? And it's in the church. I mean, it's deplorable what this is, this church is doing, okay? And they're going to suffer the consequences. But it's in the church today. I don't know if you read uh, the article that came out Monday. It came out in the blaze. You, uh, I don't know if you're going to see it in, in mainline media. But um, there, was a, there was a youth conference, a Lutheran youth conference uh, of the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. It was a youth convention. And at this convention was uh, the pastor's wife. Her name was um, Jamie uh, Brucehoff. And she was talking about her son who transgendered to a girl. This started when she was age seven. Now she's 12. And, um, and she talked about how brave um, her daughter is and how proud she is of what she's gone through to, to become uh, this mother's daughter. She came out on stage, or he came out. I get, you know... Um, I get these pronouns messed up, okay? And I'm not politically correct. So I might have to go to sensitivity school after this sermon. I don't know. But uh, he, she came out on stage. And at the youth convention, all her peers and counselors, chaperones, they all cheered and celebrated her. This is a Lutheran youth convention. This is the pastor's wife who's on stage. I learned more about this story this morning. The pastor of the church, her dad, is really a woman who is transgendering too. He thought it would be wonderful if they came out together and transgendered together. And so here is the pastor of the church exemplifying all of this and the sheep or the followers of this fold or this denomination there are th- they've swallowed it hook line and sinker i don't know about you church but this is Thyatira in revelation chapter 2 We are living this. And Jesus says, there are going to be consequences. Unless you repent of her works, I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. My God. 
we are celebrating and indoctrinating our children in the deep things of Satan. Satan is real, church. We've got to believe the sign. Not question it. Satan wants us to question the sign. Question his word. Did God really say that? How does that make you feel? And we elevate our feelings and our experiences over and above. Make we we authorize those things rather than the word of God. And then Satan just encourages us, deceives us into reinterpreting Scripture. Paul said, Peter says, be sober. Be alert. Your enemy, the enemy, the lion, is prowling about seeking someone to devour. And church, he's going to pick off those who are weakest. We're in Revelation. We need to know the Word of God. We need to be in community with one another. You know, that's why we do Sunday school. That's why we do life groups, to study the Word more, to know what the Word of God says, to be in relationship with one another. So, hey, when things go south in our life, There's some others in our life that can help us, encourage us, because they've been there too. And we need to be there for each other to keep us strong and edified. We can't afford to to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We need to take this seriously. And you are doing yourself a disservice if all you're doing is coming to this service. Because I guarantee you there's going to be a moment where I'm going to make you mad. Or Craig's going to make you mad. Or Jeff's going to make you mad. And you're not going to come back. And if you're not connected to some others, we probably won't see you again. This is serious stuff. And this is why God allows Satan to have his way in our life. But just understand, in doing so, verse 7, he cares for you. He's got a purpose in in all of it. So how do we deal with it? Real quickly, be sober minded. Be watchful. Don't be duped into thinking that the enemy isn't real. He's real. God really does save this. He says, resist him. Firm in your faith. James 4, 7 says, resist him and he will flee from you. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. And God has given us His truth. And we need to be 
firm in this truth. Be firm in your faith, Peter says. Does that mean just be firm in my subjective faith, what I know to be true? Or do I need to be firm in my faith and that objective revealed truth that God has shown us? What is it? It's both. We need to be firm in our faith. We need to know in our heart of hearts what God has said. We need to know this. This is life. These are the words of life. And we need to take them seriously. The Word of God is our oxygen mask in this world that is trying to squeeze all the oxygen out of this world. You, they want, the world wants us to lean on its truth, its deception. It's out of the pit of hell. And even if you don't know the Word of God in your heart of hearts, you know that this is wrong. But you are suppressing that truth. There is not one person on the face of the planet who is without excuse. We all know right from wrong. And God in His grace, in His grace, has given us His Word, His revealed truth. And this is our tool to resist the enemy. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power. To destroy strongholds. He's talking about the word of God here, church. Verse 5. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Church, you need to know the truth. This is your your greatest weapon. It's not your only weapon. We don't have time to go into... um, the uh, armament for spiritual warfare. But we need to know the word. Let me, let me just encourage you. There's a class that Dr. Mitchell is teaching on Wednesday nights at 6.30. And this, this class is going to last for a long time, okay? He's going the slow approach for us, all us common people. But it's profound. God has given us his word for a reason. And there is a foundation to all of it for a biblical worldview. And Craig is helping us see this in Scripture and make sense of it so that we can capture, keep every thought captive. Verse 5, destroy every argument, every lofty opinion, raise against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We've got it all here, church. We just need to take advantage of it. We need to 
believe the truth. We need to obey the truth. The sign is true. Get out of your car and put your chains on. And you won't be duped by the enemy. And when you do, expect consequences. Let's go back to James. I'm almost done. Almost done, Trevor. Promise. Verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. But expect the consequences. Verse 10 says, And after you have suffered a little while, And it might even mean death. But Paul elsewhere in the New Testament says, even if it's death, compared to all eternity and what we're going to see next, it's just a blip on the screen. Know this, Christian. In all of this, God's going to have the last word. The rest of verse 10 says, And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, all grace, there is no other God of grace, okay? Any other self-made God, man-made God out there, it all works. You're never good enough. You're, you never know when you're good enough for that God. We serve the God of grace. That's why we sang that song this morning. Amazing grace. Our chains are gone. Not because of what we do. Because of the grace of God in our life. And the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. That happened before you were ever born. Again, grace will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He promises. And he doesn't go back on his promises. Remember that. Stand firm in the grace of God, verse 12 says. This is the true grace of God. There's no other grace. This is true. Stand firm. Let's pray. God, we needed this this morning. What we see in our society, in our culture today, turns our stomach. But these are the consequences of a culture who doesn't believe the sign. And God, our culture, our society continues to drive right past this sign. And God, 
we're swerving into the ditch over and over again, and it is affecting the next generation. But thank you, Jesus, that we don't have to be afraid. God, you've called us to be faithful, to believe, to put our chains on, be sober and alert, and resist him. God, encourage your children. Just know that when you permit Satan to do things in our life, God, you have a purpose in all of it. Thank you for your promises. Thank you that, God, we know that you're going to have the last word. Lord, even in this Lutheran church that I share as an example this morning, God, this family is not beyond your grace. They can know the truth and they can repent and God, you can, you can restore them. You can confirm them. You can strengthen them. You can establish them. You can turn a denomination around. God, we need revival today. We need to take your word seriously. Help us, God, to be loving and faithful and not be afraid of the consequences as we speak the truth in love. We love you. We praise you. We thank you that you are our living hope. And in you, we celebrate and give thanks this morning.